Lisa, welcome back to our podcast. Uh, I have two items today which I think may well change the way that you manage a couple of issues in endoscopy in the future. First, thanks to Shrisha Heba, who may well be having the largest series of lipomas dealt with endoscopically in the world. Shrisa is consultant in North Midlands Hospital near Birmingham, and he's going to tell us how he deals with colonic lipomas. Shrisa, thanks for taking a bit of time out to have a chat to me yeah. about, about your lipoma experience. You seem to have more lipomas uh, coming your way than anywhere else. You got a series of, was it 28 lipomas? Yeah, so I think what happened was uh, seven, six, seven years ago, the first case I came across was uh, 80 plus who was not a surgical candidate and was bleeding continuously from a sigmoid lesion. Initially, they thought on the CT scan, it looked like a cancer. Then they asked me whether you can do something. He's bleeding from this. We don't know what it is. It looks like a bulky lesion. When I looked at it, it looks like a submucosal lesion with an ulceration on the top. So I said, oh, uh, well, let me have a look with an endoscopic ultrasound uh, on ultrasound. I thought, oh, this looks, looks more like a lipoma to me, but I never come across something which bleeds or has an ulcer. Then I uh, asked the surgeons, what do you want me to do? So they said, is there something which you can do to stop it bleeding? So I said, okay, I'll try this poly loop or the endo loop from the Olympus, but it's very flimsy. And so I put it on with difficulty and then managed to ligate it. It was ulcerated at the top then. And you could see that it was, it was bleeding. Yeah, it was, it was bleeding. And uh, so I put the poly loop on and then the bleeding stopped. And then I said, okay, let's get the diagnosis right. Let me incise the mucosa and take some biopsies. Then I could see the fact. Elsewhere than the actual bleeding site, I guess. Yeah, so away from the bleeding site and then took some samples from there. And that was the first experience. And then there was another one which came across with the uh, intermittent obstructive symptoms with a large sigmoid lipoma. So that's how the experience started. Then there came across another large one. This patient was labeled uh, as IBS, very anxious lady who has never gone out of the house. And I managed to ligate it. And then she, within two weeks, she came to the unit with the specimen bottle with the lipoma and said, you took this out and it cured me. And this is the first time I'm going out of the house. We have a huge CTC service, as you might know. We, I think we do the largest number of CT colonography. So anyone altered bowels, the first investigation for a two-week wait pathway is CTC. So on CTC, if they come across any large lipomas, and if the patient has altered bowels, the, C, the surgeons pass it on to me. I, I can see that if you've got a small lipoma, you can put, because the ligating loop is about, I guess, four centimeters across. Quite easy to kind of put that over and put it down to the base. But some are big. I think the biggest in your series was six centimeters. That's too big for a ligating loop. You need to ligate at least for about 10 minutes until the mucosa is completely discolored, become whitish. Otherwise, because once you release the uh, poly loop, because it 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 uh, it's, it slightly loosens, it doesn't like it, it doesn't stick there permanently. It will slightly loosen. There's a chance that it will fall off or something. So the lipoma doesn't come out quickly. Previously, my first couple of experiences was I, I've only put it for two to three minutes, but that was not useful. So I have to go back again and then ligate it. But now, at least about ten minutes. 
until I've completely seen it discolored, becoming bluish. And those ones will definitely fall off completely. And you don't even bother to incise them? Uh, it's not causing any obstructive symptoms. It's not too big, then I don't incise them. I had one problem initially where I, I had put the poly loop on at the IC wall. And so once it went and like a ball wall went and blocked the IC wall, it, co it couldn't move back again like it was doing before because now I have made it very stiff by putting the poly loop on. So within two days, she was admitted to my neighboring hospital with obstructive symptoms. And then she had a right hemicolectomy. So then I thought, okay, if, if I'm making this in anywhere near the cecum or on the IC wall, then I definitely make sure that I incise it so that let the fat start draining out. With the broad base, you have to work very, very close to the uh, lesions. With You might be able to capture part of the lipoma. So you have to push the scope almost close to the lesion and then uh, hold it there and then it's very flimsy, as you know, anyway. So you will, you will manage to grab part of the lipoma. But what it does is that rest of the lipoma now becomes very stiff. And you can it defines very well what is the margins of the lipoma. You haven't had any cases of late bleeding with it, because these can be surprisingly vascular, can't they? I get fatty tissue is vascular. No, really. And especially if I've incised it near the IC wall cecum, that's where majority of my lipomas were. Uh, if I've already polylooped it and incised it, definitely the chance of bleeding is minimal. You incise above the polyloop, so to speak, and let it kind of slowly deflate, discharge. The surgeons, you know, who probably get quite a few referrals for a lipoma, thought, oh, Shisha, will you send them along to, to him? Because we don't really want to operate. Because they probably won't really know what kind of operation to do. You don't want to do a, a right hemicolectomy, do you? And that's the kind of the operation they'll do. And yours is much more sensible solution if you have someone with symptoms that may or may not be attributed to that lipoma. And it's actually it's safe as well. I personally believe that it has been helping patients. Patients have been called a year later now. Well, in my case, I said 70% of them say the symptoms are better. Some of these lipomas are lumen-filling things, aren't they? They're massive things. You can imagine that they could cause some trouble, especially if you've got a patient who is a little bit on the constipated side anyway. If you know that it's been dealt with, the placebo response will be significant. You know it's gone and you're therefore you are feeling better. Yeah, so now my algorithms is that if they are not completely obstructing and if I manage to completely capture the base, and I can see the dusky mucosa, leave it alone. But if it is now near the IC wall or cecum, or I only manage to capture part of it, then I incise around it, and then all are completely scarred afterwards. Right. So you do go back and, and do follow-up colonoscopy in these cases? If, I, if it's a very large one, where I've only polylooped it, only part of it, in those ones, I've gone back to see, I've incised it, whether it has, uh, it has completely gone away. But if I've managed to capture it completely, and I call back the patient in a couple of months' time, and then they say, my symptoms are better, and I say, well, it might have fallen off, don't bother, I don't want you to come back. Yes, yeah, yeah. No, I can see the sense in that. And in some studies, they recommend EUS beforehand to see if it's got a, an extension through the muscle propria layer. But you don't do that. No, I don't think that necessary. Because a CT, most of them would have, especially my patients, have been picked up through a CTC beforehand. Right. And then the CTC has said that it looks like a fat lump. 
even if it has extended beyond in muscular is it's not going to change what i do main aim here is to see whether i can strangulate most of it it's likely that like any other lipoma in your body even if you incise and take it away they will grow back some of them but at least now the patient symptoms have been better so i don't go back and have a look at all of them again you strangulate it for 10 minutes and it sits there and it sloughs off the top of the polyp eventually interesting two patients have got the specimen to me uh, i've got one of that picture as well so the both of them had come within two weeks they say it fell off within two weeks so you do explain to the patients that you might see some funny things in the toilet in the next week or two <laughs> so what size range have they been the 28 lipomas you removed As estimates have been from ctc and so on so 1.5 centimeter to about six centimeter they're sending them all to you, aren't they? Any size lipoma, Shrisha will sort it out. Any altered bowels, then I will I will take them. But if they say there's no altered bowels, then I don't do them. Just like anything else, just because it is there, it doesn't need to come out. Yes, excellent. Your way of dealing with them, I think, is better than hacking away at them, trying to kind of resect them completely, which is, I think, when things can go seriously wrong. We now move to Professor Peter Siemsera uh, in Utrecht, who is an author on a recent paper on the topic of salvage EMR after chemo radiotherapy for esophageal cancer. Sounds like a crazy idea. Peter, thank you for joining us. So what led you to this, the whole idea that you can give someone chemo radiotherapy and now all of a sudden they're suitable for endoscopic resection? It seems like a crazy idea to me. Yeah, that was, that's what I thought as well. But there, there's now a, a nationwide trial running in all the uh, esophageal cancer surgery centers where they give patients first chemoradiation. This was followed by surgery. But they are just followed up. And uh, what happens sometimes is that after 10 months or 12 months, they only have a local recurrence. And that's usually very small. And yeah, the, that can be removed by uh, EMR or ESD as there are also sometimes those elderly 80, uh, which we gave gamma radiation and they, well, they responded nicely. So uh, let's see what's happening. Yes. And, and they came back after after a while. Uh, and, and then there was only a local recurrence. And well, we, at one stage, we decided to take it out. And I've done now six patients already. Uh, and the endoscopic resection, is it more difficult than usual? No, not really. I mean, there's a little bit more fibrosis, but it's very well uh, doable. And especially when it's very superficial and... We know from studies from Rotterdam, when they uh, looked at the results of the CROSS trial, that uh, all these recurrences always come in the superficial layers first and then start to, uh, to grow down into the deeper layers. So that means that they, well, they are open for, uh, for a local resection. And when you say deeper layers, that would be the submucosa, not as deep as the muscularis. Submucosa, yeah. But what we resect is usually mucosa, the first or second layer of the submucosa, and sometimes even the, the third layer. And so it would be ESD preferably then, rather than uh, banding EMR? Depending on the, on the size of the lesion, of course, and the, the risk that, uh, that it will be probably uh, not as superficial as you would like it to be for, uh, for EMR only. Okay. So local recurrence... And that's detected endoscopically or by CT? Or how, how would you look for it after 12 months or so? Well, sometimes come with uh, just uh, some symptoms and we are, uh, we are very easy in doing endoscopy because we know this now. And sometimes they have a follow-up uh, uh, PET scan. 
and then it's also sometimes noticed. Right. And if the patient was got nodal disease, that's a no-no then, then not for low. When there are local or uh, distant metastases, of course, no local resection. Right. And what size lesion would you tackle? What's your size limit where you said, look, I can't deal with this? I think my maximum uh, size was, uh, I think, three or three and a half centimeters. All right. That's a big local recurrence. Gosh. But still superficial. So uh, yeah. that was remarkable. Do you do an EUS beforehand to try to kind of determine if it's superficial or not? Or would you see if it lifts? I did it in the beginning, but I mean, you know, the sensitivity of EUS in our hands is not as good as the Japanese. So uh, we decided to stop it and just start doing it and, and see what ha what's happening. Yeah, that's one of my feelings too. Life is too short for EUS. If it lifts, I can remove it. <laughs> exactly. So lifting is important, of course. And when you see it is really growing in the, in the deeper layers, then you also should stop. But that, that, that didn't happen to me. I mean, one of the co-authors, uh, Pierre Dupre, uh, told me once that, that he had one or two of those cases that he started and he saw, well, this is just, this makes sense at all. So he stopped the procedure. And this was one of the caveats in the paper, wasn't it? You Because the authors were, were all emailed, weren't they? And then they volunteered the data kind of retrospectively. So the recall bias might be a bit of an issue. Yeah, there are cases you would rather forget about. Yeah, no, that's absolutely true. I mean, recall bias is really one of the, the issues here. Yes. At the same time, we have, I think, a fair number of 25 patients and uh, 35 uh, procedures. So Japanese do, the, do this already for a longer time, eh? with the local recurrences after uh, uh, squamous cell cancer uh, uh, treatment. Yes, uh, in the list of references you listed, I think the first paper was from 2003 or something, a long, long time ago. A long time ago. Well, we're used to them being ahead of us. We included now uh, for the first time also uh, adenos. In the study, most of the cases were squamous cells, but of course squamous cells do worse, don't they? And you find this in this retrospective study too, didn't you? That adenocarcinoma seemed to do better. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, there were American centers included in this, American authors rather, but there weren't actually any American centers. So the Americans, basically, they don't do it, do they? Uh, and you're right. I mean, in, in, I also spoke with quite a few colleagues about this, uh, especially because it was published in GIE and people well, started uh, calling me about it or sending me emails on that. And they said, well, we're not used to do this because we're also afraid of legal uh, reasons to do this, which I can understand, of course, uh, because it's, of course, much easier in Europe to do these, these kind of things as, as it is in the, in the, in the U.S., but then on the other hand, if you have a local recurrence, there's not much you can offer for these patients. If they're not suitable for a salvage surgery, then in Leeds, sometimes they offer a brachytherapy boost to the area. But apart from that, what else can you do? We also used to do this, indeed, uh, local brachytherapy. But the brachytherapy is not very popular in the US as well. Eh? So it's mainly also the UK, Netherlands, South Africa. Brachytherapy is not widespread over the world. Oh, I see. Yeah, it, well, it's a bit tricky. You need to get someone to place the catheter in the right place, etc. Exactly. You need a special room for it, and you need to you need to have equipment to load the radioactive source in the in the device, etc., etc. So your conclusion in the paper is that it's not quite ready for prime time yet. You want more research, and that's what you're doing in in the Netherlands. Then there's a multi-center study ongoing, and is there a control group? There's no control group, actually. <laughs> Again, it's, it's just more perspective, and we're just following the patients. 
And the reason that we are doing it now and why it's also easy to include patients because of this SANO trial, which I told you about, uh, that so those patients that are receiving uh, chemo radiation and then go in a wait and see uh, and then being followed very strictly with uh, uh, endoscopy and also uh, PET scanning and also EUS. Well, as long as they do not have any uh, recurrences or metastasis, they, they are just being followed. Uh, or when they have a big local recurrence, of course, then they go for surgery. But when it is very localized and still amenable for a local treatment, then well, th- this is offered to the patients. Right, I see. So it fits quite nicely. That- and I, I expect that in the in the future, we will not do that the, as many uh, surgery procedures anymore for these patients because, well, they are responding very well to chemo radiation. Uh. The, the times when I wonder is when you have a very a young patient who's looking at another 40 years of surveillance. If that esophagus has turned unstable already, then they've got another, say, 30 years of it happening again, and you can't give a second bout of radiotherapy. So then it's only surgery. So in young patients, I do wonder if they shouldn't be offered surgery first. No, that's true. But then that's one of the, uh, let's say, the endpoints of the study. Uh, what type of patient is that you can, can you do this? And uh, what is the type of patient you really should offer surgery always? Interesting. And when does it conclude, this, the SANA trial, the SANA study? Well, just the, the last patient was included last week. Oh, I see. And the follow-up is uh, uh, at least three years and, uh, and, and then another follow-up at, after five years. Okay. Which brings me to my final question. Some of the follow-up data in this study, they were long, weren't they? They were 10-year follow-up. Well, many people started this already long before anyone thought about doing it. I also remember my first patients. Uh, I mean, those patients, they said, you know, I have this local recurrence and I don't want to die. Can you not resect it? And he said, well, we're not used to this. Well, but why do, don't you do this? I mean, we give you consent to do this and uh, let's try it. And that's how it started. And, and that's also how it started in the other centers. Uh, that's what the authors told me. Well, I think this paper would probably change my practice. You know, I do get referred these patients occasionally too, where the clinical oncologists are wondering if there's anything we can offer endoscopically. I've never seen the rationale for it. But with this paper, I think, I think I'll change <laughs> and often attempt at the local resection. Well, that's the purpose of uh, publishing your results every now and then, eh? I wasn't aware of any of these studies, you know, the Japanese data on, on salvage endoscopy. That was a completely new area to me. I saw it one, one day and then I realized, well, maybe we should do the same. And then at the same time, I had this patient. So that's how it started. And you've done six cases now. So you're clearly a convert. I like it. I hope that you enjoyed today's podcast and it's giving you some food for thought on how to manage lipomas and uh, local recurrences in the future, perhaps. And uh, I look forward to catching you again in a couple of weeks' time. Bye for now.